all our merch had like consume me with hate or 666 on it. The pastor walks up to us before the show, uh, before the show and all the kids go in and says, no, none of this is being sold here. And we're like, hey, bud, you know what you signed up for. You know what you signed up for. What are you doing? So he didn't let us sell merch. He also didn't pay us our full guarantee. And uh, essentially, when we got up on stage, they didn't even want us on stage at that point. Because <laughs> like, because you got to think about it. If you're not going to let me sell my shirts in your venue, where am I going to sell my shirts from? Right. The parking lot. I'm still going to sell them. Like I'm still, we still got to make, we still got to eat that night. Yeah. It's not like metal bands make millions of dollars on tour. So like, um, I, I sold him in the parking lot. He wasn't stoked about that. Um, Welcome to the 112th episode of the Cast of Ends Creation. I'm your host, Chris Deering. This is the show where I interview bands and public figures from the Mathcore, Mathcore adjacent communities. If you, beautiful, if you beautiful people in chat have any questions or comments, feel free to drop them and I'll try to read them aloud. If you like us over five bucks, you get access to some exclusive emails as well as access to the interviews before they hit YouTube and other streaming services. Uh, you can also suffer free by attaching an Amazon Prime account to your Twitch account. It's like taking five bucks from Jeff Bezos' pocket and putting it into mine. If you're watching this on YouTube or listening to this in your car and have no idea what I'm talking about, the cast is shown at the the interview is first shown on Twitch live. Uh, join us every Sunday and Wednesday at, tw- at twitch.tv slash the cast inspiration for the live cast. With all that out of the way, let me introduce our guest today who's uh, formerly of uh, Carnifex and Her Demise My Rise as well as a bunch of other projects. Welcome in Jake Scott. How's it going? Hey, how's it going, Chris? Uh, thank you for having me. Um, like I said, I'm a big fan of the podcast myself, so just thank you for having me on today. Well, I appreciate you coming on, man. Sorry for the uh, weird ass intro, dude. I don't know why I'm a little off today, but uh, I didn't hear the ding, so you're good. You're good. <laughs> oh, you didn't. Okay, I always wondered if people could hear that or not. I guess they can't. Alrighty. <laughs> so, uh, how, how you been doing, man? I'm great. I'm great. Just you know, hanging out, doing my thing, making music, the regular. <laughs> well, uh, can you give us just a brief background on you in case uh, some people aren't familiar with your work? Of course. So um, my name's Jake. I am from California, Southern California, to be exact. Um, I have been in the death core scene for over a decade. I uh, I started out in like local local bands and uh, ended up in Carnifex. Um, went from Carnifex to Her Demise and uh, some various projects in between. But those are usually like my claims to fame. Um, yeah, and pretty much just hang out in California, um, still go to shows and still like enjoy being part of the scene um, as much as they like having me, you know? All righty. Um, can you scoot over just a little bit to your left? Make you a little more centered? Yeah. Beautiful. Perfect. Is my um, audio still good? Yeah, yeah. You sound great, man. Um, so let's start back at the beginning. How did you get involved in the music? So yeah, um, I've been playing music since I was in high school. Uh, essentially, like when I hit like 15 years old, I got really into bands like the typical bands you'd get you you get into when you're 15, like Pantera, Metallica, Slayer, um, and that, that stuff really like that's like your gateway into heavy music, uh, like everybody's gateway into heavy music. Right, right. So, um, Definitely Slipknot and Killswitch Engage for me. Exactly. So I mean, I had the I had the folder with all the Slipknot pictures on it as a kid and stuff like that. Oh Um, yeah, dude. (laughs) And that that was like the gateway into me kind of finding my identity in heavy music. So like, uh, I ended up finding bands on there was a before MySpace there was this site called Pure Volume, and I used to just sit on Pure Volume and dig around, and I found bands like On Broken Wings, Remembering Never. 
bleeding through um, a lot of like that, like hard, like metal core that kind of leaned more towards like the hardcore, but still had like that heavy edge to it. Mm. Um, and that's really where I, I feel like I found my identity in music. When I heard music like that, that really spoke to me. And that was around like 16, 17. So like around that time, I was starting to find like some like-minded kids in high school and we, we, uh, we started creating bands and stuff. So like my first couple bands were like really, really terrible metalcore bands, you know, playing at like restaurants and stuff like that. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and funny enough, like the, uh, the guitar player from the other guitar player from her demise, my rise, James Sauceda, um, we went to high school together and, uh, um, he played in all the, the bands I played in essentially, we were always in bands together. Um, where we kind of broke apart was when I left to Carnifex and he, he started her demise, my rise. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of like, a little bit of the history of how I got into the scene and into the music. We're obviously, uh, I'm from the Inland Empire of California and we had our own little cult thing. Like I'm from the same town Winds of Plague is from. And then Riverside is just down the road. That's where like Suicide Silence is from and stuff. I've like never that. heard of the Inland Empire. What do you mean by that? It's uh, so in, in geography of like California, you have Los Angeles, you have Orange County, and then like the inside of california like not on the coast is considered like the inland empire okay um hmm. yeah yeah so and that's where like a lot of a lot of uh the heavier bands came from orange county obviously had like your bleeding throughs your throwdowns uh stuff like that out here in this area so uh um but we were like the heavier edge in ie but uh we all had they were like two totally different scenes at the time like the oc kids doing the uh the metal core stuff out here and then we had the uh like more death metal death core stuff going on in the inland empire at the time was it more like uh separated or did y'all do shows like together there were a lot of yeah there were a lot of mixed shows we loved to drive out to uh there was a venue called chain reaction that was like it, like when we watched DVDs of the bands we loved, uh, like the Bleeding Through did the truth at Chain Reaction um, and stuff like that. So it was like one of those, like, if you got to play there, like you just felt like you made it as an IE artist. So, right. Like, it's we, legendary. Uh, we love playing there. Yeah. Yeah. We love playing there and got the opportunity to in my local bands open up for a lot of awesome bands that, are, you know, aren't around today. But um, yeah, so there was a lot of crossover in between the scenes and that was really cool. So. Is chain reaction still a thing? I kind of feel like it closed. It is, Maybe it I'm. Is. It's still a thing. Maybe I'm thinking of the knitting factory. Then is that the one that closed? Yeah, knitting knitting factory is closed. The two the two prominent venues in Orange County right now are the Observatory and then Chain Reaction. Observatory is for a bigger bigger audience, obviously, and Chain Reaction still got that like that that small like hardcore venue vibe to it. You know, it can only fit like a couple hundred people in it. But, Hell yeah, uh, man! It holds that energy, you know. So, uh, B Dowdy in chat's asking, were you on the debut Carnifex album? So there was an album before me and I don't know if he's considering it debut as in like the, this city is burning release, but I was part of dead in my arms. Yeah. I'm sure he um, means dead in, dead in my arms. Yeah. I, I, know I would consider just, that debut at least. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, I was part of dead in my arms. Um, and part of the writing process, part of the recording process, part of the touring cycles. Um, I booked a lot of the tours for them. I, I did a lot of the merchandising, like got some of my favorite artists like Aaron Crawford to do our T-shirts and uh, did a lot of the the things uh, a new member in a band I always thought should do, like to kind of carry my weight for the, the band and kind of carve my way into it. 
He says uh, that album influenced heavily back uh, influenced him heavily back in the day. So well, well, thank you, man. I do appreciate that. It is a really sick one, and it's one of those that uh, kind of set the benchmark for for the death for the deathcore scene. I, I would say. Yeah, you, f- and I you mean, feel that way, or uh, is that weird uh, for you to think like that? I mean, to be honest, I really, really think bands like Misericordium, mm. um, Suffocate, like there were a lot of bands doing like this deathcore thing before us that we were super inspired by like, and, and like even, and we, I feel like we kind of mix like that misericordium sound with like the bleeding through sound. And that was kind of where we kind of had a little bit of an edge. Cause we had a little bit of a more polished feel to it compared to like, if, if you ever heard misericordium, like more I, slam, long time slamming ago. <laughs> death core. Yeah. Like slamming death core, like very heavy, um, more on the core side than the death, death metal side. So I feel um, like but yeah, you I mean, guys were like, it wasn't quite on the, uh, d- uh, I'm sorry. And, uh, dead in my arms. It wasn't quite dead in my arms era whenever it happened, but y'all were kind of planting the seeds for the black and death core stuff. Like, do you they, feel like you yeah. were close to that during that album or I personally, that's kind of where myself and Carnifex drifted apart is where they were kind of going more into that black and death core sound. I know Scott was really influenced by a lot of the black metal stuff um, where I was, I've always leaned more towards the core side of the death core era stuff. Like I'm really into bands like Bishop X, Bishop X, like hardcore and stuff. So like, I always lean more towards the hardcore side of things. So like, uh, I feel like that's kind of where our branch kind of started to spread as far as where like, where I wanted to take the art of Carnifex and where they wanted to take it. So that's kind of why after that record and after all those touring cycles we did, I chose to kind of lean more towards doing something that was more into my vision than trying to appease a vision of somebody else. Because okay, I, 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 as you see, I'm not, uh, I'm, I don't got face paint on. I'm not really into that black and stuff, you know, <laughs> like uh, I'm a pretty positive guy at the end of the day. So it just wasn't a, realistically, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, a good representation of me, you know. I got you. I got you. Um, we did get a little bit ahead of ourselves. How did you end up joining Carnifex? Very true. Um, so that's actually a pretty cool story. Uh, that that's one I'll always remember. So I had a band called Alone in the Morgue, and this is before Whitechapel had a song called Alone in the Morgue. Funny enough, but I had a death me- deathcore band called Alone in the Morgue uh, before Carnifex was even a deathcore band, um, and. We played a show at this place called the Firehouse in like Temecula, and we were the headlining band, and Carnifex was one of the opening bands. And uh, I remember standing there while Carnifex was playing, watching them play, and go, going, "These guys sound like us. That's crazy. These guys kind of sound like us. They got kind of the crazy drummer. They get they got these cool riffs like mine." So like I linked up with Scott after that show, and I was like, "You guys were sick," and he kind of gave us the compliment, "You guys are sick too," you know. And uh, I used to book a lot of shows when I was like 17 years old in the area because no one there was no way to see our type of music if you didn't bring them down. So like I was actually the first one to uh, book Recon in the area, um, Wages of War, like a lot of cool bands back in the day. Um, And I booked a show called Baldy Brutality and I brought Carnifex down. I brought a lot of cool bands down and uh essentially like my band broke up at that time we were supposed to play i i basically booked the shows in order to play the shows you know um that was the whole goal of them and uh my band broke kicked me out of my own band and i was like pretty much just like booking the show just to book it and like do it because i still wanted to see the music and stuff so 
Um, I remember Carnifex came down and they were shy a guitar player. They essentially only had one of their guitar players. Their other guitar player was in a band. I believe it's called Wages of War. I think it was Wages of War. Uh, it was a guy named Travis. And uh, he, I guess he just wasn't into the band. So he didn't show up to a lot of the shows and stuff. And oh, uh, this was before they were signed to the city as burning records and stuff. So like uh, I saw an opportunity there and I more or less was like, you know, you know, my music was similar to yours. Why don't we, uh, why don't I link up? Let's I'll, I'll go down to San Diego and we can uh, see if this works. So I ended up, uh, all the money I made from that show, essentially, I made like maybe like four or 500 bucks. I used all that money to get down to San Diego and live with Sean and learn the Carnifex songs they already had and kind of start working with them on what would become like, they already had some dead in my arm stuff in the process and in the recording process and, uh, try and add myself into the mix of that record. Um, hmm. and that, that's kind of how it kind of shaped up is like my band broke up. I booked them. I was really good friends with, uh, pretty good friends with them at the time. And, uh, kind of used that as a jumping ground to get into the band and really prove myself. Cause the one thing people don't realize is I was like a good decade older than everybody in that or de- a decade <laughs> younger than everybody in that band. Oh, so, really? Like I joined that band when I was 17 years old. I thought so everybody I, would be in high school. I guess it's not the case. No, they were, I was 17 and I believe Scott was like 26, 27. Sean was already 30. Really? Like, uh, they, they were a very older, mature band. And I, I felt like at the time I wanted to make it in, I wanted to make it in music and have a serious band. And I saw like a good opportunity as a young kid that had decent talent to uh, go and, you know, join the ranks of a, a, a more prominent, more responsible band. And uh, I took the opportunity huh. and just kind of jumped in. That's interesting. I, I totally thought these were all like kids in high school, like each of these bands. But I guess the, uh, I guess I'm just completely wrong on that. Um, no, not with Carnifex. Yeah, with Her Demise, that is the case, but not with Carnifex. Well, uh, before we get into that, I guess we still got ahead of ourselves because I was going to ask you, where did all this deathcore stuff come from? Like, it just seems like it just sprouted all of a sudden. Like, I remember being in ninth grade and the hearing Doom, and then uh, what was it? Uh, second falling from a second story window, or what was it? Oh my God, I can't believe. Uh, dude, uh, my brain is all kinds of messed up right now. But like, see you next Tuesday and stuff. All these bands just kind of like yeah, yeah. came out of nowhere. So, uh, what happened? How did this get started? Because you were at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think two bands really paved the way for everybody in this scene. The first band was Suffocate from Oakland. Um, they put out they put out the CD Oakland, and I feel like that just spread down to the Inland Empire so quickly. We all gravitated towards it actually three bands there was also winds of plague and the and suicide silence so those three bands i feel like were really the truly the catalyst for bringing deathcore into a wider audience and i think obviously myspace had a huge role in all of this as well of uh just the spread of the music we were like the test subjects for the new age of the internet at the time of uh seeing what can happen when you like independently put your stuff out and just let people listen to it. So like we were catching wind of like suicide silence and winds of plague and what everybody was doing and uh, trying to find our own niche in that sound and trying to create, there was no such thing as deathcore at the time. We were all just trying to play like ignorantly heavy music. That was like kind of the goal. Like, like how fast can we make these blast beat sections with like it gravity blast and like how, how fast can we make the kick? And then how can we just, you know, go from that peak to that Valley of like, boom, here's the crushing breakdown. And it, I feel like a lot of that came from us listening to a lot of like 
metalcore where like metalcore at that time was starting to get really fluffy, like lots of choruses, more structured. And uh, it was us trying to kind of break away from that and be more like bands like on broken wings and stuff like that, where it was more chaotic. Okay. Okay. So you're not really into like death metal then that's just like, it's just the evolution of the metalcore scene is what you're saying. To, to, to be honest, not really like, uh, not really at all. I'm, I'm a metalcore hardcore kid at heart. Like, uh, um, I, I don't really listen to any death metal at all. Okay. <laughs> all right. And then, okay. You're in a deathcore band now. And, uh, that's interesting to hear. Like, I kind of thought that you'd be taking influence from bands like dark tranquility or like in flame, stuff like that, bringing like melodic death metal uh, in and making it like yeah. a little heavier. The, the only band that really, I really enjoyed from like those types of types of music was like at the gates. Okay. Which still is very metal core when you really look at the riffs and stuff and the structures of their songs. So like, I like the hybrid. I've always liked the hybrid, but I never lean towards like the more cannibal corpse, just like straight heavy uh, death metal stuff myself. Okay. Well, uh, so after you left Carnifex, you, I guess you joined Her Demise My Rise. I kind of thought you started it, but I guess you joined it. So, yeah. So Her Demise My Rise was a very tiny Rancho Cucamonga band that, like I said, my, 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 one of my very good friends, James Sauceda, he, when we broke off, I went to Carnifex and he was kind of floating, trying to figure out, build a band and do his stuff. So when I was in Carnifex, he was putting Her Demise together and essentially i went on heavy touring cycles in carnifex and i would wear her demise t-shirts on stage and i was really trying to spread their band because he was one of my best friends and i wanted to see him like in his band succeed because i thought what they were doing was so cool at the time so um more or less like uh they were started before me they did have their own original members and uh when i left carnifex i kind of came back and i more or less they were just like yo, we need you to fill in for bass. Like that's kind of how I, I, I started in the band is I, I jumped in and played some bass for a little bit and then slowly but surely they realized, Oh, we need you on guitar. We need more. We need, we need to write a new record and we need ideas. So, um, yeah. So essentially I left the touring cycle for Carnifex. There was a, my children, my bride, it was like a heaven, ver you know how they did all those heaven versus hell tours back in the day, like where they put like Christian metalcore bands with death metal bands. Uh, we did so many <laughs> cycles of those like back in the day. So I, at, on the last, my children, my bride tour we did, I essentially told them in like, I believe it was like Alabama or something. We we're like at a mall and they were like confused. Cause they can tell I was already at that time, like. I didn't get along with the other guitar player very well, uh, Corey. Um, and uh, I think it was mainly because he just saw I was young um, and a lot of attention drew to me. I was a scene kid. Like I was a scene kid in a death metal band and like a lot of attention just drew to me in that band for some reason. And I know he did not like that. So it, it kind of put the vibes off. I kind of looked at it as when we were in that town and we're talking about doing all that stuff. We literally just did a victory records showcase. So we just performed for victory and we were that we were about to get signed to victory. So it was like contract time, sign, sign your life away to be in this band forever or make a change. So I decided that I didn't want to be on victory records. I, didn't well, I mean, want especially to. now hearing all the stories about victory records and shit. Even at like 18 years old, I already knew that that wasn't a, wasn't the play. Uh, um, so like I didn't want to be on Victory Records. I didn't want to continue on a path where 
like people were asking me to cut my hair. Like I had seen haircuts. I wore tight pants. I was a tr- tried and true. People asked you to cut your hair. Like the, so the band uh, asked you to cut your hair or. Yeah. Yeah. So like I had like a blonde streak in my hair that that was like a bridge too far. Stuff like that. Where like me being my me being myself wasn't the vision they they had. Obviously, you see, they lean more towards black and deathcore like and doing like wearing all the gauntlets and face makeup and stuff. So it was a lot different than like how I looked and how I wanted to appear. So I I, I kind of chose at that route to go, guys, I'm going to finish off this tour. I'm going to play my ass off on the rest of these shows. You know, I'm good for it. And when we get home, I'm walking away. And uh, like, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm done with Carnifex. And it was, it was very awkward. They, the whole way home, they were trying to be like, well, why don't you just play bass for us? And like, you know, just trying to keep me around and in the band and stuff. Cause I did do a lot for the band. Like I said, I did a lot of the merchandising. I sat at the merch booth and like any kid that was at any show in that era knows I sat at the merch booth every night and talked to every kid, sold every shirt, hustled for the band. Um, and I even booked shows, tours. I did I did everything because I had the skills to do so. So like uh, I kind of just uh, when we got back to California, it was very like a somber moment, unfortunately, of like we just got back and it was just kind of like Carnifex was just like, all right, later. God damn. Never, never really heard I mean, I, I talked to Sean a couple of times and he came and hung out with me a couple of times after that, but realistically never heard anything from them. I haven't talked to Scott since that day. Jeez, uh, um, dude, that's rough, yeah. man. And, and remember, uh, we were never like, I was never paid to be in the band. I never got a penny from the band on tour. I was, I, I was young. So I got a credit card on tour and was just using the credit card for everything to survive, you know? So like when I got home, the the guitar cabinet I was using in the band wasn't mine. It was uh, Scott's. And in order to even walk away from the band, he wanted me to give him $400 for the guitar cabinet. So I even had to pay my way out of the band in a sense. So it was kind of a bummer. I was, uh, I'm still like one of those things where I wish, wish we would talk to kind of reconcile those things. But um, there was a little bit of salt there on, I guess, both sides because Obviously, I'm telling people I don't want to play Deathcore anymore. I don't want to uh, be in this type of band anymore. And then I joined Herdomize My Rise. And literally every riff I wrote for Carnifex, I ended up putting on a record for Herdomize My Rise. So um, nice. uh, it, Goose, was, it was one of those things. Goose FX Zero asks, what years were you in Carnifex? My band played with you guys in, in like June 2007 or 08. So I was in the band from 2006 to roughly pretty late 2007 ish uh it's hard to gauge that for me because the tour cycles were so hectic it feels like it feels like i was in the band for five years but realistically i was only in the band for roughly about two years and that was like when the band was like getting big i remember walking around high school is here in allen texas which is just like a suburb of dallas and knowing about you guys and uh my friends would talk about going to see you at shows and shit like that what was it like feeling or seeing the uh rise of carnifex it was honestly a dream come true for a young kid like me to be able to walk onto a stage and play in front of that many people and to play with people i idolized bands i loved growing up uh bands i i just loved in general like getting to do the dead in my arms carnifex amir goodbye to the gallows tour was like one of 
my fondest memories in that band. Like, uh, it, yeah, it, it, it was, it was pretty interesting. <laughs> How many tours you end up doing in Carnival? Um, it's hard to gauge tours because cycles connected to cycles connected to cycles, but I would say probably about 15 to 20 tours. God damn. If I really dude. think about Holy it. And our, our, fir- our first tours were God, like God awful. Like we toured with, uh, that boom snap, cl- the Irish front. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So like Carnifex, the Irish front on tour, like That's we had sick, some dude. very DIY tours at the beginning and, uh, got to luckily move on. We eventually, like I said, got to play with like Amir, a plea for purging. Uh, we did a, the world we knew tour. We did, uh, my turn, my bride tour. Um, man, there was a lot of tours in that cycle. Um, uh, Rose funeral tour, uh, lots and lots of like uh, hybrid tours with death metal bands, metalcore bands. And it was, like I said, it was a dream come true to be able to share the stage with Carnifex and with the, like, there's so much talent in that band. It's ridiculous. Like Sean is one of the best drummers I've ever played with and will ever get to play with. Scott is also like a very amazing front man. I have no uh, ill will towards any of the members. I, I think what they're doing is great. And uh, it's the vision they wanted. And I'm proud that they were able to move on and do the vision they wanted. And I was able to break away, use some of my newfound popularity to uh, create my own vision and pave my own road. All right. Well, uh, let's talk about that. So you leave Carnifex, you join uh, um, Her Demise My Rise. Uh, so tell me, like, how, how did you fit into the band? Were you there on, like, the first couple of EPs? So they did the essentially what happened was is they had like a very local ep they called it like the uh honor above life ep and it was like it was total local band like you know just some riffs thrown together lots of experimentation no one it was really only uh listened to in the local scene of like rancho cucamonga and then um is that the 07 demo because there's an 07 and an 08 demo that's how they're noted on rate your music i'm not sure what you actually call those things it had like cruise. I don't know what they call it on there, but it had cruising to taste on it. Annihilation of a Capricorn. It had a lot of those songs on it, which were like very early, early heard of mice. Um, and uh, essentially they, while we were on tour with Whitechapel, uh, James called me and was like, I need a recording studio. We just wrote the coolest two songs we've ever written. And I want to, what, where did you guys record the Carnifex record? Like we need to go there to do this one. And I told him where, I was like, you guys definitely need to go to Love Juice Labs, which was a recording studio in Riverside. A lot of the bands from the area and the time got the records done there. And it was very cheap. Like we did the Dead in My Arms record for $900. Damn. Nice. That's all it cost to record that record. And uh, so um, they went there and they recorded the Straighten Your Throat stuff. And while I was on my uh, touring cycles, I was pushing that record to everybody, every band, showing every band we were touring with, check out my buddies, blah, blah, blah. Um to kind of give them the, the base they needed to start growing on MySpace. I was also like on the Carnifex page, you know, posting about them and stuff like that as well. So really trying to uh, spread them um, across the U.S. because I just thought what they were doing was cool. So when, like I said, when I when I got off my the touring cycles with Carnifex, I joined up with them. I played bass and uh, for like maybe like a month, and then I switched back to guitar. But um, as soon as I joined, uh, we signed to The City is Burning. Um, it, we were on This City is Burning Records with Carnifex. And uh, 
I liked Josh and Sean and what they were doing with the city is burning. It was a local label. I felt like it had like, I mean, it had stick to your guns was on this. Elijah was on the city is burning. Like some of my favorite really? artists. Okay. Were I've the, seen, I the never city heard of it before you started mentioning it in, uh, in this interview. Actually, I never heard of this label before. Okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a local orange County label. Like I said, it had stick to your guns, Elijah, Dr. Acula, um, Carnifex, uh, underneath the gun. Um, a Jeez. lot of the, yeah, it was a stacked label. And so like when we, when we did her demise, um, they obviously were like, Hey, obviously we know you have a tried and true record with us. Why don't we sign your new band, give you guys a budget and, uh, start testing out the waters with you guys. And I was, I, I of course said, yes, I was young. And I just knew that at the time, at least you needed a label to back you to make any moves. So, um, we said, yes, we signed the contracts and, uh, we essentially released what I call what we call the summer sessions EP, which is the one that just released and came out today. Okay. Um, which is the one where like, I used a lot of the riffs I planned on, uh, using for the Carnifex record, which ended up being called the diseased and poisoned, I believe, uh, um, a lot of the riffs I wrote for that record ended up becoming songs or parts for the, uh, the Her Demise record. When we dropped that, things kind of exploded for us. Like uh, we were packing shows after that record. So um, we just kind of started hitting local shows super hard. And uh, we had a lot of connections in Arizona. So we would jump over to Arizona a lot, play a lot of Arizona shows. But everybody in that band. So this is where it comes into you thought people were young in the band. That band had members that were 15 years old in it. Oh, shit. So it was actually extremely hard for us to tour at first. So we would right. just do little runs here and there. So like the drummer, Kevin, was 15. The uh, the singer, Cameron, was 15. And then we switched to Coco, which he was 16 at the time. So um, is that even like high really school young. age? How, what grade were these? Yeah, they were in? just in they were just in high school, well, <laughs> like literally just hitting high school. And like you can even hear like imagine a kid that young. Like if you listen to the drums on those records, that does not sound like a 15 year old kid. Right. The right. Kid, I was like, not it, thinking that. yeah, it blows my mind how talented they were, like I always say. So like, uh, um. Yeah, so we weren't able to hit the hit it super hard as a signed band because we had such young members at first. Um, but what it, as we move forward and as things progress a little bit uh, bigger for us, like uh, our singer and our drummer were able to do homeschooling to do the band and stuff like that. So we started opening up to doing tours and stuff. Hmm. Um, B Dowdy in chat says, Her Demise, My Rise, and Off With Her Head were easily two of my favorite band discoveries back in the MySpace days. That's awesome. That was super awesome. Thank you, man. Oh, yeah. I, I do appreciate that. Uh, so I, I remember uh, the, the 08 album or 08 EP had uh, a lot of the stuff that was on the takeover. So how did you get to the takeover, which was in, in 2010? Yeah. So essentially we were hitting it super hard. We were playing a lot of shows. We we're packing the venues and we the, the label finally was like, OK, well, that little EP thing we did with you that cost us a couple hundred bucks like killed it like we had a budget now so we the the irony about the takeover is that cd was recorded twice we original and i don't really like talking about this but i'm gonna say it anyways but uh we originally recorded with andrew from winds of plague um and he completely screwed us he didn't know what he was doing he didn't know how to be a recording uh engineer but he was selling himself uh he had this studio in his house that looked really cool and like 
it, it was essentially like all the best equipment you can ask for, but the person behind the board didn't know how to use it. So he just, and he was using us to just continuously milk our label for money. I need more money. I need more money. I need more money oh, to the point sucks. where our label is like, we need to walk away from this and start over. So when we hit the takeover, we were already net negative from the jump. Um, nice. <laughs> we already spent a ton of budget Bucks. on recording with him because we thought it was a good opportunity they were from the same town as us. So we thought it was like a good thing to have like one of the bigger bands from the town we're from and like back us. And uh, turns out that wasn't their idea of what, what they should be doing with the, the artists they were working with. So we then pivoted to another studio um, called Sky Blue Studio in like Seal Beach, I believe. And we recorded the takeover there at like an actual professional studio at that point. Um, the reason why a lot of the songs on that are rehashed from the EPs is because we were not ready to record and release a debut album. We didn't have the time. We were playing way too many shows to be in a writing cycle um, and actually like crank out a, a well thought out album. So what happened was, is we wrote a couple songs like, you know, take the crown truth be told. Um, I think we wrote, uh, and we had enough time to in total to write like four new songs and then it was just a rehash of everything we ever did, which, mm -hmm. to be honest, was a huge benefit to us. Well, I was going to say, those are some of the best ones are the ones that are from yeah. that demo. Yeah. Well, and that there's another catch to that, too, is that we uh, because they're re-recordings and those re-recordings are honestly terrible um, compared to like the original recordings. Um, and we don't own them. Uh, the one thing I always say, which is kind of a bummer, is the takeover is owned by Sony Entertainment. Really? How does that work? <laughs> So, and Carnifex is Dead in My Arms is also owned by Sony Entertainment. So essentially the record label, Josh and Sean. Um, so Sean Mutaki of Uprising Records merged with The City is Burning and Sean Mutaki actually signed Fall Out Boy. He was the original guy who signed Fall Out Boy. I was going to say, so I he, thought that you guys were on Uprising Records. I didn't understand who The City was Burning was, yeah. but uh, yeah. And then I saw that he yeah. did Fall Out Boy. I'm like, what the fuck? How does that work? But anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, he, he actually, he was like a vegan straight edge hardcore guy who signed like some of the sickest vegan straight edge hardcore bands and stuff like that. But also I'd like fallout boy on his label and stuff, but because Sony wanted fallout boys original EPs so bad, Sean wasn't just going to sell them that he was like, you're going to take the whole catalog and you're going to take it for X amount of money. And so we were part of that. Carnifex was part of that. So he essentially sold all our music to Sony entertainment without giving us any royalties or anything. Dude, that's um, fucked. Oh my God. That sucks. Yeah, so it, was, much. It, 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 it was a bummer. It definitely was a bummer. But like I said, it kind of benefited us because half of the songs on that were rehashed old songs anyway. So now that we're able to release the EPs, it'll kind of wash away the, that, that CD a little bit. Cause the, the one thing is like the band isn't proud of that record as we should be because we were really rushed through it and really trying to just push to keep moving. Damn, dude, that's crazy. Are you able to like buy them back from Sony or something? So, well, I guess you said about, you don't want to. So there's that. Well, yeah. I mean, I've looked into it too. The thing about Sony is it costs them more to have a, a lawyer look at to even to even open the book and like look at the paper than it's worth them even dealing with it. That's so crazy. they won't even they won't even bother. So, <laughs> um, yeah, and that's why you see like we've released our old EPs. Carnifex did a rehashing of a, a Slit or Savior and stuff on their new record because they cannot release the old stuff. It, the most you can do is pull like the Taylor Swift and re-record it. <laughs> that is so stupid. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. Uh. <laughs>
So what's up with I, I was looking at, at your stuff on Bandcamp and such, and I came across this EP called Curses, and uh, it's not listed on Rate Your Music or anything. I don't see on any of your my on any of your Facebook pages that. or anything. <laughs> You've been trying to delete it. Why? What's I up with it? it? Yeah. Um. So curses was what I wanted to like. So curses was me fixing the mistake of the takeover. Um, music wise, like I wanted it to be exactly what. And you can kind of see when Curses came out and then what happened with the scene about three to four years later with like Sworn In and stuff. I was pretty already knowing that I already knew like that sound was going to be the thing. So like when I was writing Curses, it was like with that type of like that type of music in mind. Well, it's a lot more like uh, breakdown oriented, I guess I would say, than like uh, the album was. Yeah, exactly. So just more raw, heavy, dark, lots of screechy noises and stuff on it, like more remembering never influenced and stuff like uh Yeah, like no more like, like uh auto-tune choruses and stuff happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That the takeover all the only reason T Mills was even on that record was because our singer Coco uh he wasn't prepared, he didn't have lyrics ready for a lot of songs, and there was giant gaps. And T Mills used to hang out at the studio with us, so he was just like he just hopped on. Who is but, that, uh, by the way? I, I like you, you say it like he's like a, a big dude. I've never heard of him before. I might be out so of the loop. he actually is a he's in a band called Girlfriends now, which is a pretty big pop band. But he uh, he was a he was like a MySpace solo artist before like SoundCloud rap. He kind of did that bef- way before that okay. era even came into be. And he was a big popular artist that did warp tour and stuff. He actually has an Apple Music podcast. Uh, that he does and interviews artists nowadays and stuff like that. So oh, that's cool. and I think he's dating like a Gilmore girl or something like that. <laughs> what? So, okay. Yeah, yeah. But uh <laughs> yeah, so like I, I was trying to erase a lot of that because I felt like we really sold out our sound to kind of break through a little bit. And I don't it wasn't necessarily what we wanted to do. It felt like what we were told to do. So curses was the goal of curses was to, to wipe that, but unfortunately our singer left us to be the lighting guy for breathe Carolina. Okay. And uh, yeah, so he, he left to do that and just didn't want anything to do with the band anymore. So I got another vocalist to do that. And I just, I've never been happy with how curses came out. So like, uh, thanks for reminding me it's up. I need to figure out how to delete it. (laughs) (laughs) So you heard him, you got to run and download that before he gets. (laughs) It's very true. Yeah, it's very true. Um, I thought it was weird how you never like mentioned it on like Facebook page or anything like that. That's yeah, really I, I won't promote it. It just the vocalist didn't capture the essence of what I wanted on the record. So just kind of moved on. I, I, I kind of felt like I I was just killing our legacy the more I tried with the band. So I just after that, I just stopped. I just said, OK, no more. I'm, I don't want to beat a dead horse. So after that, I just kind of paused the herd of my stuff and just let it be. Gotcha. Well, uh, after that, you started a YouTube channel doing uh, music videos for other artists and stuff. Tell me about uh, your time after Herd Demise. Yeah, so essentially, I used whatever money I had, everything I had from the band at the very end. So essentially, we were supposed to do a tour with Volumes. We were the headlining band, and then Volumes was really? our support. Okay. And, that's crazy uh, like seeing how big they are now like that yeah well <laughs> there there's a reason they're big is because they did that tour we if we would have did that tour we would be in those shoes right now but unfortunately our van broke down we just got off warp tour 
we were, uh, and our van was just done and we had to leave for that tour in a month. So we, our van was shot. It broke down like literally two days before that tour was supposed to start. Volumes was awesome. I always say this about volumes. Volumes called me and was like, you guys can ride in our van. We'll split whatever we got to split. We'll deal with this. It'll be a little rough. We'll be a little tight, but let's just do it because they wanted to tour with us. I wanted to tour with them, but my singer said no. At that point, he he was already on buses with Breathe Carolina and stuff. So he his head got a little big and he didn't think that was necessary. So Dude, that he, sucks. He canceled the tour um by without a cord. And I was pretty much at that point, I was like done anyways. Like I, I wanted to move on because we were rotating members every five minutes. Like I was having to replace someone, teach them, replace someone, teach them. So I was just over it anyway. So um, I essentially used whatever money I had left um, and went to college. While I was in college, I was like, this kind of sucks. Like <laughs> I, 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 I went to college and I was actually working at a gas station, which was ironic. Cause like, I'd, I'd be like giving people gas and they'd look at me and be like, weren't you in Carnifex? Huh. <laughs> and just like walk out and it was like kind of crushing at times like uh like i like people walking out being like wow the mighty have fallen and stuff and you're just like thanks dude i'm just trying uh, to get i'm just tr i'm just trying to get by you know right. like uh, uh we don't get royalties we never really got anything for what we did so i was just trying to make something so while i was in college i was like i still want to do something with music um i just didn't know what it was because obviously starting another band is like a very very heavy commitment um so, and I didn't want to do that at the time. So obviously I listened to a lot of music. I was always researching on the internet, seeing what was coming up, what was cool. And I randomly heard this, this group called Raider clan. They were a, a, they were a group from Florida and their leader was a guy named space ghost perp space ghost perp worked with ASAP Rocky on ASAP Rocky's first EP. Um, which is ASAP, like if you know anything about like that kind of underground rap scene, ASAP Rocky's first EP was like the what made ASAP Rocky so big. So like I saw that Space Ghost Perp was creating this thing called Raider Clan and signing all these uh these younger rappers. Uh this is like the very beginning of SoundCloud rap at that, that point. Um, and he had Xavier Wolf, which was his name was Ethel Wolf at the time. He had Chris Travis, he had young Simi. He had uh, Denzel Curry, which Denzel Curry is a huge name today. Um, he also had uh, Eddie Baker, which is this is where the tie in comes here is like all those artists were like Florida and Memphis artists. But Eddie Baker was from my town. Mm. And I, I like I, I was watching all their videos and all their stuff online. And I was like, wait a minute. I think I've seen this dude before. And uh I ended up hitting him up because I was like, he knows who I am. Definitely knows who I am. Like, uh, I hit him up and just started hanging out with him and got kind of back into the music scene through him, like going with him to places like going to hang out with odd future and stuff like that with him in LA and realized like, wait, I can do something here. There's like a gap. So I bought a video camera and was like, yo, let me shoot some videos for you. Shot a video for Eddie Baker, which was a video called plugs by, um, and everybody in the underground rap scene saw that video and how I literally shot a video in his garage and made it look like essentially at the time a feature film comparably to what you were getting at the time. So, and I'm like legitimately one of the first underground videographers. There was only one guy before me and he shot Juicy J videos. Other than that, there was really no one doing underground rap videos at the time on YouTube. So I saw like a good, good way for me to like carve my name into 
something different and something new. So once I did Baker's Eddie Baker's video, I, he's obviously in the group with Xavier Wolf and Chris Travis and stuff. So I really liked Xavier Wolf. I thought he was going to be huge. Like he was just really cool artist, really unique sound at the time. He was really like Memphis funk, but was really like trying to, trying to switch it up and pave his own lane as his own, own artist. So I was talking to him and I ended up shooting all his original videos, which if you look at my YouTube channel, he's garnered millions of views on. Um, so I feel like uh, I really helped him and Baker and a lot of that scene kind of show themselves in a good light. Cause like your typical rap videos, girls shaking their asses, you know, throwing money at the camera, like, but that wasn't what they were depicting. That wasn't, I was trying to depict their raw art form, which was something totally different at the time. So if you see, I have a lot of like solo shot artistic flow to a lot of their things. So that really gave me like a breath of life in music again, and really started inspiring me to create again, because seeing these guys go into a booth, record a song and it garner hundreds of thousands of plays. I was just like, man, I, I think it's time for me to start, you know, doing something again. So oh, yeah, yeah. That, that's kind of like uh, my, my YouTube stretch right there of like uh, what I did on YouTube. And uh, I'm really proud of it. Like that's one of my, that's one of my favorite things I've done is be able to help. And that's something I realized too, is I really love helping other artists define their sound and uh, like sh show their art off in the best light possible. So that's something I started moving into a lot more. Uh, as SoundCloud progressed, we had artists like Lil Peep and stuff. So I actually booked the first Lil Peep show in LA. Um, my buddy Eddie Baker was throwing LA show parties and stuff. And he always used to message me because he's like, you're tapped in, Jake. Who's next up? So I'd always be like, Lil Peep's going to be next up. Ghost Man's going to be next up. And I'd say Omen 13's going to be next up. And I'd send him all these people who were nobodies. Like nobody knew who these people were. A thousand views on SoundCloud. And he would put them on the shows. <laughs> so like uh, I even had a little bit of impact there in, in those scenes for helping out some of those artists. That's cool, man. I've never like really been into the uh, the rap scene, so I, I'm not super familiar with the people that you're saying. But uh, it does look oh, like yeah. your channel kind of like took off a little bit. Uh, it's uh, what was it? Darks, a uh, cold soul, cold soul, right? Yeah. Cold soul, awesome, yeah. man. And you also like did some streaming and stuff there, too, right? Yeah, I, I dual stream to Twitch and YouTube from time to time, either my creative process of like, I'll just flip on while I'm writing and recording music just to, uh, just to hang out. Maybe someone will pop in, you know, listen, hang out with me. Um, or I'll play a little bit of video games here and there just to, uh, you know, pass some time. It, I always thought streaming was really cool. Uh, I never wanted to, that's no, nothing I've ever wanted to do as like a living, but I think it's a cool concept. And I, uh, like I said, I've been on Twitch for like eight, seven or eight years now. So like, I always thought it was going to be the next big thing. So it's really cool to see where Twitch is today. It's like kind of amazing to me. Hell yeah. And, uh, what's your Twitch handle again? It is a underscore cold soul. So everybody should be following him. Um, you also did another band though, just real quickly. Uh, the hollow crown. Uh, how did that come about? So that one was actually pretty interesting. So myself and you'll hear James's name a lot. He, he's obviously like someone I love, I love to work with. He's one of my best friends. So me and James were like sitting on discord playing like escape from Tarkov, like talking about like, we're listening to like heavy bands and stuff. And we're like, Oh, well we're like, 
what are they doing that's different than what we did in back in the day? Do we still think we can do this type of deal? So we just started writing some songs for fun and recorded them. You know, like uh, we actually, we recorded that record. And then I don't know if you know who Austin Coop is. He, uh, he's in a band called Prison now. Uh, sorry, it took me a second to remember the band's name, but uh, he's in a band called Prison. It's like a new metal hardcore band. Uh, mm-hmm. We had him mix and master it and it came out awesome. So we did a little push for that just to like see what would happen. And uh, we, it was just a fun project. We just wanted to make heavy music for the sake of making heavy music because it's something we've always loved as we've, we've done it since we were kids. We're in our 30s now and uh, we've been, me and James have been doing it since we were 15, 16 years old together. So it was like uh, us just kind of like, getting back to the basics. That was kind of the goal of that was like, get back, write some cool riffs, you know, um, make some cool songs. And I actually did, I did vocals on hollow crown. James wrote most of the music for that. I saw the music video for it. It uh, it was was pretty cool seeing you doing vocals and stuff. I was like, Oh, I thought this dude was a guitarist. I I am. I am. (laughs) But uh, I, I've always, uh, I've always wanted to do more in music and like try things and uh, experiment with, everything so that was like us kind of experimenting not really having a vocalist around and me just being like all right i'll do it so um, and we're actually going to be releasing a new ep probably in about two months that's that's the goal it's we don't announce these things because they are just for fun so like uh um but we do have something we are working on currently i just recorded vocals last night for a new song so we do have some stuff in the works i'm pretty excited to drop that stuff uh the weird thing is is like we kind of just put it on the internet and just let it be and then like a year lit like we just looked at it like recently and we're like dude, we have a lot of people are listening to this. Like we looked at one of our songs on YouTube, uh, circle syndrome and I like 40,000 plays on it. And we're like, how did that happen? We did nothing. So uh, we noticed that like our, our music was getting a little bit of reach people were listening to it. So we're like, that's cool. Let's put out something heavier. <laughs> Let's <laughs> nice. try and be even heavier on the next one. So that was kind of the goal of hollow crown, just a fun project just to uh, flex our heavy muscles a little bit. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's awesome, man. Uh, you also have a, uh, I guess you'd call it an indie band or indie project, uh, a casket made for two. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So that was actually like a casket made for two is something I've always wanted to do since I was probably like 17 or 18. I, I was really into like indie rock music. Like when postal service came out with their, like the, their, their, their EP, they can, or I think it's a full CD, their full CD they came out, um, I like gravitated towards that. When I heard it, I was like, this is like the most amazing piece of art I've ever heard. Uh, there's also bands like a love, like pie. Um, uh, uh, brand new uh, stuff like that, you know, like uh, that uh, I was really influenced by like the emo and like the electronic scenes of thing. Hello, goodbye, stuff like that. So like, I've always had this idea in my head that I'd have some sort of like, I, at first I thought it was going to be like a synth pop project, but like, as I got older, I realized it's more like indie experimental stuff. So, um, I finally felt like I had the skills and talent to write some music and be honest with, uh, my art. So, cause it's always scary. You know, I'm not a singer. I'm not a, I'm, I'm, I'm just a guitar player at the end of the day. So this really challenged me to try to learn how to sing on my songs, write lyrics and write patterns that I thought were interesting as well as experiment with a lot of different sounds. Um, 
I'm kind of put into like a little bit of the hyper pop category these days because it's really like digital with like a lot of noisy stuff going on. So a lot of people have been categorizing my stuff into like that hyper pop circle. I don't know if you've heard of the hyper pop. Uh, very little, very little. I don't listen yeah. to too much aside from uh, metal and stuff. Okay, yeah, but <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I've actually been very influenced recently by a lot of the hyper pop artists too. I really like a lot of the things I'm hearing. Um, one person I want to shout out here is Funeral. He is a amazing indie artist who pushes himself on SoundCloud and he writes such amazing music. Um, there's also a couple other hyper pop artists that were I just thought were really cool, like Glaive, Eric DOA, um, Midwest. Yeah, like the hyper pop scene right now is I, I feel like is going to be the next up and coming wave, like kind of how the SoundCloud rap scene was like kind of had its wave. I feel like the hyper pop scene is going to have its wave right now. And my music kind of relates to that, but also is a lot more like just indie alternative music at the end of the day. Um, yeah. And it's something I really love to do. Um, I have a new record, Broken Down Believer, coming out on December 30th. Um, funerals actually on that one. Um, so uh, you got all this new um, music coming out. I didn't, I had no idea this stuff was happening. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 I, uh, like I said, like I, I just kind of put music out and don't announce it, promote it, uh, and just see what honesty can do on the internet these days. Cause I know I can pay for ads. I know I can pay for blog posts. I know I can pay for all that stuff, but it's artificial at the end of the day. I'd rather right. have a kid the same way I found music back in the day as I sat and I explored the internet. I clicked on things. I listened to it. I went, that's cool. That sucks. That's cool. And realistically, I want my music to be found the same way. I'm, I'm not trying to force something down anybody's throat. I'm not trying to say, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Um, I just want it to be honestly heard and it's been going great. To, like I I've been very happy. I, I look at my stats every now and then and I'm like, people are listening to me in London. That's so crazy. Like I'm getting a following in London. Like, wow. Like where did this come from? It's just so cool to me. Like, I feel like honest music always wins. Like when you're not trying to, I, and the goal is always like, I'm not trying to sound like anybody, I'm not trying to be like anybody. I'm not trying to be a carbon copy clone of anything. So I feel like that is really what sets me apart, at least these days. Um, and like I said, a lot of those are lessons learned from like doing the takeover and stuff and like completely selling out my uh, audience, you know? <laughs> I wouldn't say you ever like really sold out the audience. It, it was pretty, very similar across. But um, yeah, I totally agree with you about like buying like ads and stuff like that. Uh, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a musician myself, the sound that ends creation, and I've done that stuff. And I, I've like done every venue you could do to uh, promote your mm -hmm. music. And yeah, I totally agree. Like ads and stuff aren't the way to go. I actually interviewed a band, I'm not going to say who it was, uh, that had like 97K views on their music video or whatever. And like, no subscribers on their youtube channel and it's Probably like no comments either yeah yeah it's like bro you, you bought all those like watches and yeah, stuff and yeah. i'm like dude what's up with this and he's like i'm just an excellent promoter like come on man <laughs> I, I, and i i get it there's the a lot of people like the fake it till you make it type thing like but and like to to put out these like visions of you're bigger than everybody but at the end of the day i'm just like my fans i love music uh, like uh, no, I don't even no, I don't really have fans, but I'm just like the people who listen to music. Like um, I'm nothing special. I just create art and hope people listen to it. It's not even it's it's. I'm not trying to blow myself up to be some big artist or have any like clout in any scene. That's never been my goal. 
like herdomize, Carnifex, all that stuff wasn't for clout. It wasn't for notoriety. It was legitimately because I was trying to do something I loved and I, I still love it to this day. So like, I, why would I stop? Hell yeah, dude. Love hearing that. Uh, got a random question here. We ask everybody, uh, what do you put on your hot dogs? Ooh, it's kind of gross, but I like a lot of mayonnaise and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and spicy brown mustard. How much is a lot of mayonnaise? Like you have just like a bucket of mayonnaise. I'm, you just I'm, I'm, I'm talking it? like you open the bun and the, the, you put like a good thick layer there, you know, and <laughs> it, it kind of binds the hot dog into the bun. <laughs> okay. Okay. And then you cover it with the mustard on top, I, I guess is how that exactly, works. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Lots of cheese too. Lots of cheese. Very unhealthy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've never heard of a healthy hot dog. So, so there's that. Um, <laughs> that's true <laughs> uh so you recently put up uh her demise my rise stuff on spotify um i'm assuming a vinyl drop is coming right we are talking with a couple people um i don't want to say anybody yet because we are still i'm still in like talks with a couple different uh like I guess like indie companies that have been starting to do this, like helping out some of the, uh, the older bands get their stuff repressed and stuff. So, right. It's like almost a like a, a whole industry now of like re-releasing older, uh, older bands. Yeah, material. yeah. So I am in talks with a couple. I'm the, I'm trying to find the right one to work with and the right way to go. Cause at the end of the day, like I said, that this isn't a money grab and the the whole goal of putting the stuff on Spotify and to even do a merch or a, a, a record pressings is to give a lot of the artists that worked on this project uh, royalties that they've never seen ever in this band. No one ever made a penny. We only spent money. We never got money back. So like I really the goal was is to get everybody some royalties, you know, that, that was like my goal. So I'm going, I am going, I am in talks with some final pressers, some cassette people, you know, just seeing what's out there and what we can do and how it's, how it'll benefit the band, like, and the, the people who worked on the project. So that is in the works and hopefully we see something uh, progress in the next couple months. We did last year, we did a, I don't know if you've heard of Pencor before, Pin, oh, I saw the core. pins that you had up on Facebook. Yeah. So yeah, shout out to Joey and Pincore merch. Um, he does amazing work. Like I loved that idea. I love that concept. His de- his level of detail on what he does on his his art. Like I turn the pins around and the pin caps are hearts. It comes on this. Be- oh, like really? That's cool I- I'm all about like that level of giving my the people who listen to my music something that is like has that extra to it you know not just like here's this crappy screen print and shirt we mass produced and buy it for 20 bucks even though we spent two dollars on printing them like right. i would rather max out the budget and make two dollars off everything and make people happy um with what they're getting than than the opposite way so um yeah like we released those and then we did another we did like a a, a, a very small shirt pressing that a couple people got but i get messages all the time asking for records and t-shirts so Apparently nobody got uh, not enough people got those those rare pressings. So we are going to be doing something hopefully uh, next couple months. Hell yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, let's see here. Uh, oh, I I have another random question. Uh, a lot of people back in the MySpace days used uh, bots and stuff to like add friends and do comments and stuff. Did y'all ever engage in anything like that? I did personally. Um, so like I'm just coming out straight out and saying that I did for my <laughs> projects. Carnifex did. Okay. Heard of my rise didn't. Carnifex didn't do it 
by themselves though. The record label had a bot thing at his house and he would run it. Um, it really? Wasn't like Carnifex, okay. It wasn't like Carnifex was doing it themselves to artificially pump their stuff, but the record label was. Interesting. See, like that was actually kind of successful too. Like, I mean, I, I sold like a hundred de demos or whatever because people thought I was like number ten in Texas or whatever. But yeah, it's crazy. That definitely helped Carnifex get the edge at the time. So you you know you can't complain. Um, if you leave a system open to gamify like that, expect people to exploit it, and that's right. what that's what they that's what everybody did at the time. Luckily, these days, like you do that, it's a lot harder to do that. And if you do it wrong, you'll get your whole channel deleted. So um, exactly. Yeah, I think so. that's like kind of one of the reasons why MySpace kind of went down the tubes is because of like yeah. spamming. And then obviously they did all these changes. Interesting shit, man. Uh, so talking about like playing shows and stuff, what's the best show that you've played? There's a couple. Let me. I. Hmm. It would have to be the Carnifex Dead in My Arms Cedar release at the Soma San Diego. That was probably the most energy I've ever felt in a room in my life. Um, and that was one of my, that was like one of my first shows with Carnifex was doing the debut CD one, like, uh, like first, like really, really, really big shows. And that show was cool because it was us, White Chapel. Uh, what was White Chapel? It was a, remember Siege of Armida? The record, yeah, the record label right yeah 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 so it was like a siege of armida tour plus carnifex so it was like the partisan turbine white chapel a lot of those uh a lot of those bands um all on a lineup and i remember we all that was the first time a lot of us met each other and it was just really cool because like everybody was from different places of uh, every every different walk of life a bunch of different states and that was like a cool memory for me to just be able to get on stage and really, you know, play some of the heaviest music in front of some of my favorite bands. And uh, obviously we killed it that night because we ended up touring with Whitechapel and a lot of those bands afterwards as well. Dude, that's fucking but that's sick. definitely one of my favorite mo moments. Was that like the biggest show you played or? Probably not, to be honest. I know when we did a lot of those heaven versus hell tours with like impending doom and a plea for purging, we, we would play church venues that were wall-to-wall -wall packed like i couldn't even tell you how many people were there it was insane so um, i remember he my friend was talking about you guys playing at a church and how i think it was he was saying your singer was like talking about praising satan or some shit oh you're <laughs> from that part of texas i know exactly the show you're talking about they <laughs> made us um so essentially all our merch had like consume me with hate or 666 on it the pastor walks up to us before the show so, uh, before the show and all the kids go in and says no, none of this is being sold here. And we're like, hey, bud, you know what you signed up for. You know what you signed up for. What are you doing? So he didn't let us sell merch. He also didn't pay us our full guarantee. And uh, essentially, when we got up on stage, they didn't even want us on stage at that point. Because <laughs> like, because you got to think about it. If you're not going to let me sell my shirts in your venue, where am I going to sell my shirts from? Right. The parking lot. I'm still going to sell them. Like I'm said, we still got to make, we still got to eat that night. Yeah. It's not like metal bands make millions of dollars on tour. So like, um, I, I sold him in the parking lot. He wasn't stoked about that. Um, and Scott was super pissed that we were invited to play a show. And then essentially right before we went on, he went in, the dude went into preacher mode and all that stuff before us and really was like trying to shame us for being ourselves. And so that was, it just wasn't cool. Well, it's and weird it was, that like you would be playing a church venue to begin with. Like, honestly, with like, heaven versus six, hell six, tours, six, six, man. Six, 
Heaven versus Hell tours, impending doom, and My Children, My Bride, and a plea for purging were why that show was booked there. So, um, and their merch wasn't like our merch. If you remember our original merch, it was it was very like shock factor, you know. Right. So, and they just didn't appreciate that. Um, but you know, don't book the tour. I I can't say anything nice about that venue because that was awful. <laughs> like right. it was just super awkward moment to put a band in that's really trying to work hard to be something. So. The idea of a heaven versus hell tour is weird to me. Like uh, putting you on with like Christian band, like Christian bands, like that's yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's so uh, weird. I, I learned a lot of those bands weren't as Christian. Uh, they weren't oh, no. Christian on stage. Definitely yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely yeah. not. <laughs> uh, a lot of them were playing parks and playing roles because Christian metalcore at the time was huge, and they were capitalizing on a market. So um, right. Well, like I remember back in the day, uh, my my friends, some of my friends couldn't listen to anything besides Christian metal. So, you know, those are the bands that got like the leg up because they said they were Christian, right? Exactly. <laughs> and that benefited a ton of people and no hate to a lot of those bands either. I love a lot of like my shirt and my bride. I love touring with. Those oh, yeah. Guys. They're those fucking sick. So sick. Yeah. Just one of my favorite bands to tour with because they're just super nice dudes, super down to earth. And uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. They were one of like actually the one of the first metalcore bands I got into. Oh, that's really cool. Oh, when they did the Halo headshot song, that was I used to (laughs) I'm the I'm the kid that was on tour every night moshing for every band because I loved all the bands and then have to get on stage and play our set. Like, you know, (laughs) you're already tired. (laughs) Yeah, I was in heaven like when I was on those tours because it was just like I got to hear all my favorite bands play live every night. And uh, like I said, it was always an honor. Like I, I I, I can say honestly, like, thank you to Carnifex and the guys, Scott and Sean um, in that band for giving me the shot and for, uh, yeah, I guess the opportunity to prove myself in the scene through their band. Because at the end of the day, Carnifex was not my band. I was just playing a role in the band and helping the band out. Um, and I never really saw it as a long-term play. I was always kind of looking to pave my own road, so... Like always props to them for giving me the chance to work with them and do stuff with them and, uh, you know, get to tour some of my favorite bands. Hell yeah, man. Uh, was that, would you say that the church was your worst show or did you have something worse than that? Oh, there's definitely worse shows than that. So, and I, there's one that'll, that sticks out in my mind, super gnarly. And it was another Carnifex one, ironically. And, uh, essentially we had, we, we had a show on Reno with Winds of Plague, Suicide Silence, Despised Icon, um, and probably a couple other bands. I'm real. Oh, See You Next Tuesday was also on that. God um, damn, dude. Yeah, it was a stacked lineup, <laughs> and we were part of that show. So we get to Reno, and I get a call from Ash Alvinson of Sumerian Records. Mm-hmm. And he says, you're not playing with Suicide. You're not playing with my bands. We are there. The kids are already going to hear Suicide Silence. They don't need to hear it again. And I was like, fuck? and I, and I was like, Ash, we've been working really hard out here. We've been on the road for over a year, really proving ourselves. Like, why are you doing this to us? And it was kind of like ego at the time, I guess, of him just being like, well, whatever I say goes and I say no. So it was like crushing. We're at the venue. We're seeing all our buddies. And uh, I walk up to the promoter and I'm like, no, it's cool. Ash said we could play. I lied. <laughs> he gets wind about 30 minutes later that I said that I get another one. And now he's not nice anymore. Now he's screaming at me on the phone and Jesus. he's like, you're not going to play with me this way. And I was like, 
you're playing with my livelihood. You're sitting in some big house somewhere, um, you know, eating steak. Like I'm just trying to get my guarantee for the night. Let us play, dude. So like I calmed him down and he was like, fine, you guys can play after suicide silence. Like, so essentially like what he expected to happen was is all that his bands would play. Suicide silence was the headliner. Everybody would go home after suicide silence. Right. That didn't happen. Yeah. I was going to say that there's no way that that was actually the case. Nope. That didn't happen. So, uh, he let us, we, we got to play the show. We got to do our thing, but it was just like, it was just one of those, like, we're always fighting against the current. So that was like a very awkward time and awkward. We, we really felt, and Suicide Sons didn't hate us. They're from like, we were, we were from like adjacent towns. So we were friends. We used to hang out with each other at the time. I think Scott was going out with Mark's sister or something, our cousin or something. But, uh, um, like that was just super awkward. And I just remember feeling like, uh Oh, did I just screw up by like pushing buttons of Sumerian? Cause if you know, Sumerian records at that time, it was untouchable. Right. Right. He, he was it. He had the faceless, he had all these crazy bands. So like, uh, it was very scary to do that show and to, to kind of see what would happen and the repercussions of it. And it wouldn't up being that bad, but you know, I wasn't in the band very long after that. So I really don't know the long-term repercussions that had for Carnifex. Well, I was going to ask if it did have uh, repercussions, but like you're saying, I guess you don't know. I, I mean, it kind of did because like Sumerian wouldn't sign us and they Carnifex had to go with victory records because other than victory, there wasn't very many options of people asking for Carnifex records at the time. So uh, I think it which is wild because like Carnifex is actually like, pretty big now. So that's uh, pretty interesting. They're killing it on nuclear blast. They're doing their thing. Um, and, and they play amazing big festivals and stuff now. So mm-hmm. um, it may have just been like one of those things that made the road a little bit longer for them, you know, like yeah. made it a little bit harder to get to the next level, but um, they're killing it. Like I said, they do their thing these days. So, and I think nuclear blast is like a perfect place for Carnifex, a uh, great label for them. And I so- think they're taking care of them very well. So, so what's the weirdest show you played? Ooh, man, I played lots of backyard shows, but those aren't really that weird. Um, like backyard shows and big bands, which was always just kind of funny. Um, weirdest show. Some of the things that I've heard are like uh, bands playing for kindergartners in a kindergarten. <laughs> like, Dude, uh, why didn't we get to, no one invited? <laughs> thanks for the invite. We would have did that in a heartbeat. That would have been the music video, man. Like, um, little little kid, kid mosh pit, you know? <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude. Uh, also um, had somebody play in a uh, um, a gym, like with the weights and shit all around him and stuff like that. So, oh, that's you know, awesome. Kind of like the Denny's kids, the ones that that viral video of the kids who played in Denny's. I have um, no idea what you're talking about. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. I, I remember there was like a couple years ago, there's like a video. It was Denny's or like a Waffle House or something. And they like, they're in like Waffle House. And he's like, Waffle House, open this shit up. Like it's, <laughs> and it's, they're literally in the, in the dining room of Waffle House. Like That's hilarious. Sick. <laughs> um, weird shows though. I'm trying to think like we never never really had any like super i mean like you kind of already said the weird one and it was the church one yeah i guess like the church <laughs> one would probably would yeah probably that was probably it. the weirdest moment we ever had at a show like other than that like we got re- we were really fortunate like we we were able to pack venues around the united states and do a lot of cool things without a lot of without a lot of like empty venues in both herdomize and carnifex which was very oh i got a weird show actually the weirdest show i ever played is in herdomize my rise we did a i self-booked a 
tour around the US, kind of like an idiot. I don't know why I did that. Um, but I self-booked a headlining tour for Her Demise across the US. And there was a point where we played with, where we headlined over Evergreen Terrace. And I was just so confused because <laughs> we played the show. Or uh, I'm sorry, they headlined over us, but we played the show. And by the time Evergreen Terrace went on, I was the only one moshing for him. And it was weird. Like, really? he was looking at me the whole time. Like, you're the your band should have went last. <laughs> like, huh. I love Evergreen. I, I thought that so, they were like, like huge. Hyped. So that's uh, that must have been like when they were kind of early on then. No, no, that was that was that was uh, towards the end of their career, I guess, um, with Her Demise, uh, when Her Demise played with them, because that was like way, way after their big like, because you got to think like, oh, OK, Fest this is the back in the day was when they were then. massive. Yeah, yeah. So that was probably like 0809. So that like that type of music wasn't as popular at the time. But well, that was a, that was a really weird show. <laughs> well, uh, let's wrap this up by going over your album of the year so far. I guess it's near the end of the year. So yeah, the album of the year. <laughs> it is definitely, I can't remember what the album's called, but it's the new Knock Loose record. Okay, sick. The, the EP that they did. Yes. That, I still I mean, haven't listened to it. I really need to, man. I keep hearing it's, it's good. It's absolutely killer. It is like, it's what I consider like the epitome of metallic hardcore, you know, like that, like almost Pantera, you know, it reminds me a lot of the things we were doing in Her Demise My Rise with like a lot of the bouncier riffs in those like more Southern chords and stuff. So like, uh, I love Knock Loose. I think they're killing it these days. So uh, they're my favorite heavy band. So right now, yeah. so, and for like the last couple of years now, and they're light high. If you've ever seen a live performance from them, that is the energy we need in 2020, like, metal you know like i love it it reminds me of back in the day when i see their shows so packed with kids running across the stage and stuff it just brings me back to like the best time in metal for me and seeing because it died for a while there there was a big slump for a while there. oh yeah and to see see this spike up again it's just it's very exciting to me and it's really cool and if anybody's to lead the scene in the right direction knock loose is doing it hell yeah man well uh that's about all I had to talk about. Unless you had something else you wanted to. No, no. Um, I like I said, Chris. I watch the podcast. I love what you do. Um, thank you for having me on. It does mean a lot to me to be able to sit, you know, chat with you for a little bit. And uh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm gonna keep on rocking with you. Hell yeah, man. Well, uh, so her demise, my rise, dropped remastered versions of both their demos on Spotify, and you guys should check them out. Uh, you're on. Facebook, Bandcamp, Instagram, and all streaming platforms. Um, I didn't see a YouTube channel for Her Demise, but you've got yours. It's all uh, on mine, yeah. Uh, what was it again? I'm sorry. It was it's just Cold Soul. Cold on, Soul. Uh, that's it. I keep wanting to say Frozen Soul, but I know that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, what other, any other socials that you want to shout out before we get? We get? Um, no, um, other than that, just my uh, my SoundCloud, A Casket Made for Two. Um, that's where you'll hear most of my recent music, and that's where, like, if I write something, I put it up that night on SoundCloud type of deal. So like if uh, that's like the best place to get the latest of what I'm working on and what I'm doing. Hell yeah. Um, and uh, then we already shout out your Twitch uh, handle. Uh, you actually did it in uh, here. Uh, a underscore. Yeah, yeah. And you'll see. Soul. I, I just I just subscribed to you as well. So oh, you um, to do that. <laughs> oh, of course I did. Uh, I, like I said, I love what you do. So uh, uh, thank you for doing this. And uh giving the underground a voice uh, uh, because not a lot of people are doing it these days. And like you, you really interview unique people and bands and stuff like that that don't really have a voice in today's scene. So 
like thank you chris for being a person who is like champion 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 eh. for i'm not saying that now Dude, no, um, I got for you, like I got just you. pushing for pushing the agenda of the underground you know i it means a lot to me being like an underground artist and uh i know it means a lot to a lot of the bands you interview and stuff so um just props for what you're doing and uh you know keep grinding man i like i love it so i really appreciate that dude um, as for my channel, drop me a follow so you always know when I go live. You can also sub to get access to the interviews before they hit streaming services, as well as some exclusive emotes. Uh, find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. YouTube folks, if you enjoyed the video, please drop a like, tickle the notification bell. Don't forget to subscribe. It's a great way to support me for free. Check out my music, The Sound of Ends Creation, at thesoundofendscreation.bandcamp.com. My new album, Boomer Zoomers, Desperate Coomers, is available right now. Uh, my next guest is Joel Ferry from A Black Rose Funeral. Join us this Sunday, the 19th at 7 p.m. Central for the live cast. Yeah, it's an awesome, awesome get. I'm pretty excited about that one. Uh, thanks for being here, man. Hope you had a good time. Yeah, thank you, man. You, you, you have a good rest of your night. Absolutely. And uh, thank you guys for watching and listening.